is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode. That's right, of the London is Blue podcast. You're hopefully favorite Chelsea podcast for information about the club, what's going on, the latest, and today, Dan, one of your hosts here, alongside Sam, you know him as CFC Central, and we have to talk about the Here We Go from Fabrizio Romano and the Christopher Nkunku news with the player coming to Chelsea, as Fabrizio said, on December 17th, signed and sealed, Here We Go, now confirmed, all documents and contracts are also signed, it's 100% closed with a starting time for the player to make the switch from the Bundesliga to the Premier League in July of 2023. So Sam, just initial first thoughts, reactions, feelings. How do you feel about a new forward coming into this Chelsea team? And in particular, it being Christopher Nkunku. Hey Dan, I mean, uh, great to have these frequent podcasts with you. I think this is the second or third time we'll be talking this month and it's been amazing to sit down and actually get over with the World Cup frenzy and get back to covering the club we both love. And hopefully this shall continue uh, in the near future. So I'm really, really excited. And obviously, when you have such a fascinating subject to talk about, somebody like Christopher Nkunku, somebody I've loved watching for, for a long, long time. I think it's the first reaction was, um, I would say, restrained excitement. I think. Um, it's just right now I'm still trying to to digest the fact that he is a Chelsea player because I have been scarred before. And um, <laughs> we have had a few hits and misses with Bundesliga talent. So obviously a lot of questions, is it going to work? Is it not going to work? Even when my eyes tell me that this guy is, you know, essentially special with everything that I've seen of him for a long, long time, it just looks like he's a special player. But um, something inside me just tells me, you know, you need to calm down and, hopefully watch him play a couple of games for Chelsea and then maybe it starts to sink in. But I am excited in terms of getting one of the brightest sparks in Europe. I think Todd Bowley has pulled off a a wonderful meal. So I'm I'm hoping to see him play for us very, very soon. Well, good to hear that you are excited about Christopher Nkunku coming to Chelsea. And we're going to talk all about the player. We're going to get a little bit into the history, the narrative, how he got to where he is now, which is on the verge of being a Chelsea player, seeing him in Chelsea blue in just about seven months' time, how he fits in terms of the system and the squad, what are his strengths, what are his weaknesses, what are the things that we're hoping Graham Potter can take advantage of when he thinks about his starting 11 and what are the things that maybe other players are going to assist him with as well, and then where he kind of fits in the team, some player comps, who he'd be similar to. So we got a ton to get into. Uh, we want to thank everybody for supporting the pod. Uh, if you leave a five-star review in Apple Podcasts and Spotify, we super appreciate that. We're still booking our trip as well. So, uh, you know, you can hit the link in the description uh, or go to our Twitter profile. But uh, people are still coming on the trip with us to London. We're uh, getting close to about 50% capacity. So uh, definitely would recommend if you're interested to uh, get in contact with us or put down that initial deposit. Uh, and then we got a newsletter too. So all cool things for you to be excited about uh, before the holidays kick off. We hope that you're staying safe and staying well and enjoying this episode. But that's all we have to talk about. All the admin, all the housekeeping done, out of the way. All right, Sam, you're the writer. You're the author. You're the storyteller. You're the individual who can put into words and set the stage for how this young individual 
has made his way to Chelsea. So tell us the tale, spin us some yarn, let us know what was the path and what was the journey of Christopher Nkunku in football. Way to put pressure on your co-speaker. Thank you so much, Dan. I'm You're welcome. so much more comfortable. <laughs> that that was sarcasm if you couldn't sense it through the microphone. But I mean, I am extremely humbled by that lovely uh, introduction to, to my humble skills. But hopefully I will try and, and set the stage and offer a little insight as to who this guy is and, and what makes him who he is. So uh, from what I understand, he started playing at around six for, for his first club. And shortly after that, he was, as an 11-year-old, he was being sort of scouted by a lot of clubs in France. There were multiple clubs that they were trying to, to get him on a deal. And um, he went on trial and was actually rejected by some notable French clubs like Lons and Monaco. And uh, they said he was quite young. They said that his physique was not good. He was a little too light. So probably would get, you know, brushed around far too much um, in a more physical league. So so wasn't really signed. Um, he just floated around a little bit and then PSG snapped him up. Uh, so he's essentially, I would say, a PSG graduate. So he's been in their academy, made his debut uh, as an 18-year-old, coming on for Lucas Moura in the Champions League. And uh, from there, I think his, his trajectory has been pretty interesting because um, a couple of years ago, I, I read this amazing tweet about how Harry Kane, when he was sort of playing in the academy as, as a forward, obviously, one of his coaches tried to play him in defensive midfield to try and figure out if he could sort of hone this vision and, and see if he could map out the pitch in front of him. And so many years later, you can see the benefits there. You know, you can see that whenever he is in deeper positions, his passing, the way he perceives certain spaces, it's, it's incredible how he's he's picked up those midfielder skills as a, as a striker. And I think that's sort of given him the world-class touch that we call about Harry Kane. So, uh, in, in a similar respect, I would say in Kunku's footballing education has also helped him get exactly where he is. Even as something as subtle as, you know, being rejected as a kid for being too light. Now, when you look at him, he looks like he's very well built. His upper body strength is probably one of the most, um, you know, dynamic factors that he has. He uses it so, so well. So he's actually picked up stuff from his rejection and turned it around to say, you know, what else can you throw at me? And I think that's that's wonderful to see. So. Uh, at, at PSG, he he played under Unai Emery, who's now uh, manager of Aston Villa. He, then he was used as a number eight. So he actually played in midfield, trying to ensure that he could pick passes and make sure that his fullback was was bombing forward and getting into the right spaces. So a lot of the passing that you see from Nkunku now is developed from his time as a number eight. Then when Thomas Tuchel came, he was used as a wingback. He's also used as a winger on either side. He's played as center forward. So essentially, you have somebody who's played every single position on the pitch. And that makes him appreciate his aspects better. I think he's got a well-rounded skill set that you would want from players in each of those positions. And I think that makes him a very valuable entity. So after that, he actually moved away from PSG, uh, indirectly implying that it happened because of Thomas Tuchel saying that there was one year left on his contract. And... Probably Tuchel didn't make a role visible to him, didn't make a pathway visible to him. So he just, the, the quote actually says, there comes a time when you come to the end of your contract and have one year left, either you extend or you leave. And I made the choice to simply leave. So he left for the Bundesliga and any that's when I started watching him at PSG. I, I didn't know about him at all. 
But when I was actually watching Timo Werner light up the Bundesliga, he was the one who sort of popped up on the radar because this relationship between Werner and Nkunku on the field was so strong. I think there were about six or seven assists that Nkunku supplied to him. He ended up with five goals and 13 assists in his in his first league campaign. And we picked up Werner, but it was actually Nkunku who was doing a lot of the creating work, making sure that he was, you know, in the in the backstage and trying to set up stuff for, for Werner. So he picked up from there and he's actually gone on just escalating his skill set. He's been absolutely phenomenal. Last year, I think, was when he just broke out. He, he, I think, had 16 big chances and he created, again, some 13 assists or something. So in terms of being a forward, in terms of being a complete forward, he's everything that you can ask for. And he's only 25 years old. So um, it's been an upward trajectory up until now. Then uh, got selected for the World Cup squad as well for France and um, in one of the training sessions got tackled by Kamavinga and then he tore his outer ligament in his knee and was ruled out for the tournament. So now he's recuperating. I keep watching his Instagram stories. Looks to be in good spirits. So hopefully he will come back and, you know, he's now probably at the peak of his powers. And then I hope that he comes back absolutely well recuperated, well rested and raring to go. One of the things that was interesting, because for those who aren't aware, Nkunku was one of those players that Chelsea was linked with for multiple windows now. And maybe, Sam, you felt this way too when you were initially scouting him one, two years ago when he made that switch. So there was the 2019-2020 campaign. He had the five goals, the 13 assists, like you mentioned, all comps. Next season, he gets seven goals, eight assists. And then the following season, the 2021-2022 season, where he exploded with a capital E, capital X, uh, and some exclamation points at the end, 35 goals, 16 assists, assists all competitions. So when you kind of net that out, minus PKs, which he had our penalty kicks, he had two of them, uh, ended up being a goal plus assist, uh, uh, 1.04 per 90. The question was, would he be able to sustain the scoring trajectory, the assisting trajectory that he had? So when you break that down, those 35 goals, that's a goal every 0.74 per 90. So it's, uh, you know... three-fourths of a goal every uh, every 90 minutes. He actually has increased that in the 2022-2023 season. So goals a little up, you know, 0.79. So he's at 17 goals so far this season on 21.690s versus the 47.390s he played in the prior season campaign. He is a little less on the assist, so only one assist to the 16 total. And he has seen a regression from that 1.04 to a 0.69. But that is still his second highest total per 90 contributions for goals and assists minus penalty kicks in his entire trajectory. So it feels like we didn't necessarily see a ceiling, but we saw a meteoric rise in the last season. And while there has been a little regression from the assist element, his overall contribution has not dipped so dramatically that it would have warded you off or made you think that he couldn't replicate this as he continues to be evaluated as a target, which 
I would say is probably why Chelsea felt comfortable getting into a deal and looking to bring him in from July forward. I think you pointed out a lot of astute observations. It's been quite a roller coaster ride for him because he's changed a lot of managers as well. Um, and with that comes a change of system, a change of rules. I remember there was a point where he was being used on the left-hand side and clearly it wasn't his, his strongest suited. It looked like he could do better in other positions. And then Julian Nagelsmann came in and, you know, gave him a central role, tried to, to figure out whether he could do better in that role. Jesse Marsh, then after that, didn't last very long at Red Bull, but uh, managed to get the best out of Nkunku. So when I was watching him in the earlier part of, of, his, of his Red Bull career, I would be very honest, I wasn't entirely convinced. And a lot of people that I respect in, in football circles and, and their opinions and, and how they see certain players, they weren't really sure about his talents as well. They were like, okay, he is good, but obviously there are a lot of flaws. There are certain things he needs to improve drastically. There are question marks over whether he can replicate this form over the long term, like you said. And it was also about, you know, whether he can add certain things to his play. And, and it looked like for the lo lo longest time that it was a vindication of our suspicions when the season after the first, he just dipped. He went, I think, six goals and six assists over the season. And then it was like, okay, you know, maybe he just had a purple patch and, and this is the regression to the mean. But then after that, like you said, he just completely broke out and it became a completely different player. It looked like he had evolved. It looked like he had amalgamated every single experience that he'd had and, and put it together to become the player that he is. So right now, the last season that I watched him, I probably could say that he's he's looked far more complete. Obviously, a lot of my opinions are also based on the fact that I'd seen him earlier. So there's always a little fear. Will, will he regress to that? And when things go bad, and when he comes back from a long injury, how is he going to respond? How are his performances going to be affected? So I think that's still at the back of my mind. But having seen him at the peak of his powers and having seen his upper ceiling, I think I'm, I'm fairly optimistic that uh, he is a really, really good player. All right. We're going to take a real quick break. We want to thank these sponsors for financially supporting the show. When we get back, all the strengths, all the strengths that Nkunku is going to bring to Chelsea, we're going to get into all of them. But we'll be right back after these messages. If you're bored of the U.S. Netflix, why not just take it for a spin in the U.K.? Using NordVPN and a click of a button, you can do just that. No need to travel to Japan for your favorite anime when NordVPN brings it right to you with over 5,000 plus server options. No show is out of your reach. Using my link, nordvpn.com forward slash London is blue, you can receive a huge discount on a two-year plan plus one free month. We all love to binge, but look, privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. They've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. Don't forget, there's literally no risk when you use our 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try, and if you like it, great. If you don't, they'll issue you a refund. You can pretend the entire situation situation never happened. Check out my link again. That's nordvpn.com forward slash London is blue to get your subscription started today. All right, Sam. So you have detailed a lot of strengths. And for those who can't see, they're just listening to this episode. 
the amount of strengths you listed relative to the weaknesses, there's a difference in the size of the list here. And I think as people listen <laughs> over the next few minutes, they're going to realize uh, where maybe how bullish you are on this individual, uh, no no Red Bull pun intended, uh, on what Nkunku is going to bring to Chelsea. So let's just go through maybe the first two or three strengths. We'll talk about them, and then we'll kind of go through the next set because you've got a laundry list here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I had to list out a lot of things. I mean, he is, like I said, a very impressive individual, and his repertoire of, of strengths has been steadily improving. He's been adding new things and, and different facets to his forward play. So I think the first thing that I would say stands out for me is is his level of technical excellence. He's an extremely good dribbler. He's very, very good in tight spaces. I think that's something that stands out whenever you see Nkunku. Even in places like, for example, in the 18-yard box when he's surrounded by defenders, he's so aware in terms of a spatial uh, sense that he understands where each defender is, where the space is, and he takes touches into those spaces to navigate away from pressure. He's very well aligned to his surroundings. And it's, I don't know if it's sort of like an instinctive thing or if he's just wired to to look around and has some peripheral vision somewhere that he does on the ball. But that's something that that really, I think, is his strength. He's, he's very good in tight spaces. Also has those lovely, you know, pulling back the ball with the underside of his soul and with either foot, you know, when we were talking about Fofana on the last part, I mean, that's something that I felt was was lacking when we talked about his dribbling. He was somebody that would just hit the ball into space and try to rely on his acceleration and speed to be the defender. And Kunku is the opposite. He doesn't have the burst of acceleration over long distances. He's very quick over the first, say, two seconds, three seconds. But he has complete control over the ball. He knows exactly how to manipulate it will nutmeg you, will flick it around you, uh, will deceive you with, with shoulder drops and feints. So in terms of being very aligned to his technical skill sets, he's absolutely fantastic. And uh, over the past five years, his dribble success rate is around 60%, which is incredible. Uh, just for context, in this season, for anybody who's attempted more than 10 dribbles in Chelsea, the highest is 52% of Mason Mount. And Mason Mount doesn't dribble very often. I say maybe just one real quick point of order there. So I did notice when we were prepping for this pod, yes, he has a career success against in dribbles around 56.8. And that's, again, much higher than a lot of players at Chelsea currently. But there has been a dip this season, season over season. So 2021-2022, of his dribbles were successful. He attempted 121 of those. So that's a very nice success rate on a high bit of uh, attempts. This season, on 59 attempted, he has 42.4% success. So is that a change in the way that he's playing? Is it that people have taken notice of him? What? Why would you explain maybe that decrease based upon the analysis that you've done? I think managers go through this three-season syndrome where, you know, they're afraid of being figured out. And I think that's something that's happened to Nkunku as well. You know, people now know he's the main man. Um they're more wired onto him. They know exactly the kind of things that he's going to do. So perhaps a little more effective in stopping him before he does those dangerous things. Um, it's not sort of saying that he's declined or, or he's doing things differently. Uh, there are some other numbers that have declined as well. For example, earlier in his career, whenever he used to drift out wide, his crossing is actually pretty great. When I looked at 
his crossing from say a season ago or or his first season his passing the weight of the passes the position of it where he placed it for the strikers it was absolutely phenomenal it looked like he had this sense like when you look at a de bruyne the weight of the pass you know the pausa that that you take before you deliver the pass it just looked like he knew what to do one of my favorite quotes i i bring up this again and again is from this documentary called zero dreams of sushi and in that the chef says every ingredient has an ideal moment of deliciousness and i say the same about a pass every time you try to give you know that vital through ball or a key pass it has to be delivered at exactly the right second and ngunku seems to have a fair amount of that you know inside his his locker he understands the beauty of that pass so i think he's also dipped on that his crossing although good i think he's only managing about half a cross so one cross every two games and earlier it was around say 3 or 3 and a half and then i think that's also coming more centrally making sure that he's trying to break lines through through passes and trying to dribble through rather than trying to find a way out wide but maybe he's being a little more judicious with his use of the ball but i think his threat is still magnified as his goals sort of tell you about that but like you said his creativity has dipped uh he's not had a single assist this season he's had three big chances but um other than that i think he's is pretty much good everybody around him is wiser and that makes things a little tougher but other than that i'm i'm not certain it's a it's a bigger worry got it so it's more we're getting a chance to see him work through a little bit of an adversarial situation as more people are paying attention to him and the standard is continuing to rise definitely i think it's uh, one of those challenges that that you want to take on as a professional how do you improvise and how do you deal with these certain challenges about your opponent being wise to your to your moves and understanding i mean you've got work class backroom staffs now reading every single movement that you're doing on the pitch every single action that you're executing so i think it's come to a point where defenders are being told what exactly to do to stop him maybe you know do everything that possible just to to stop him from turning in the right positions making sure you relegate him to to wider positions where he's slightly easier to handle than in center so maybe that's what he's going through but he's shown before that he can work through multiple positions multiple roles on the field and come out on top so hopefully this is just one of those little moments great so let's continue with that list what are some of the other things that you think are top strengths of inkunku oh so uh, like i said i think upper body strength the development of that has been i think adding to his physique just flashing out a little bit of that frame and and looking like he can go up against premier league center backs and and somebody who's trying to to hustle and bustle him off the ball I think it's also been a good addition. He's got some great balance even when he's moving at speed. It's very hard to knock him off. You know, you need to do be a little dirty to clip his heels or maybe just give him a knock on the boots or something to bring him down, but when you try to go shoulder to shoulder with him, he's happy to absorb contact and I think that's something that we've had complaints with with regarding to Werner, with regarding to Kai Havertz. I think in Kunku's I would say modestly more stronger than both of them. So um he's definitely added to that and it's also accentuated other parts of his game his link up play for example is another one of his key strengths i would say probably his second best strength it's just great to see how good he is when his back is to goal you know even when he can't see the goal when he can't see spaces in behind him he's happy to be a wall that's playing passes off to other people he's got this really good sense of where do i need to put the ball for runners he's always switched on to who's making a run in the right direction behind a defender 
And he's good at linking up these one, two quick exchanges, either for himself or creating it for other people. When he's in the attacking third, it just looks like he's he's got a great map of, of like a blueprint of what is going on around him. And and looks like he's he's got an almost overhead view of, of what's happening, which is a great asset to have as a creator. So linking up and somebody who I would say is a unifier of the attack, somebody who brings out the best in, in other forwards around him. When you look at RB Leipzig's forwards, I would say Dominic Soboslai is somebody who's... Um, a lot more direct than I would say a creative presence. Danny Olmo is creative, yes. Emil Forsberg is creative, but hasn't played a lot. Um, and even Yusuf Paulson or Andre Silva, they're both um sorry, uh Andre Silva is it Adrian Silva? Andre Silva, I think Andre Silva uh, is also a classic center forward, somebody who relies on service. So he's somebody who's bringing those various profiles together. He's happy to play these passes and create shots for the likes of Danny Olmo. He's looking to create crosses for Silva inside the box or Paulson inside the box. He's happy to set up one-twos and long-range shots for somebody like a Sobozlai. So he's got a good variety of passes. He understands the strengths of different attackers and I think he plays to them. So it also shows some level of intelligence in terms of putting the right passes for the right kind of people and it, it brings out the best in, in Leipzig's attack. Well, we definitely like an individual who can link up with others and... You know, I think the first time he throws in a little bit of a tackle or a challenge on a center back or a defender who maybe then forces him to ground, I think he's going to win over a lot of hearts in the Chelsea faithful. But I have a couple other ones here because, again, this list of strengths, quite long, quite long. <laughs> so I think uh, something that I had initial doubts over him, I think he's, he's won me over on that regard. Uh, movement, off-the-ball movement has, has improved significantly. And I think that's also in part to him moving away from the wing and moving towards the centre, where he's started to pick up these little nuances of centre-forward play, where he needs to be, what he needs to be doing, and, and which positions he needs to be keeping an eye on. And I think that's really improved the way that he sees the game as the, as the furthest forward uh, in, in the front line. It's not something that he's done previously, but I think he's adapting there. And even though he's five feet, eight inches tall, it's just really good how he gets into positions where um, he gets headers. You know, he's he's not really tall, not really good at, at you know, having a significant leap, but he darts between two defenders and, and gets headers in. And I think he scored two headers against Manchester City. So getting in between Nathan Ake and, and I think Ruben Diaz and then scoring two headers and getting a hat-trick in the process. So somebody who's also honing that part of his game. When when I looked at somebody like a Fofana and, and somebody like an Nkunku, I was surprised because Fofana is the number nine, Nkunku isn't. But Nkunku has better movement inside the box now. He's actively looking to make these little movements, get away from players, trying to create space for himself. Again, I wouldn't recommend fullback to, to try and put balls on his head. But, you know, I would say that watch how he creates space. Every single time that he's trying to manipulate and get away from his give the ball to feet and let him do the work because he's great at dribbling, great inside tight spaces. So movement will be a key, key aspect. Somebody who's as good with the ball at his feet as he is without it. And I think that's a, a rare breed of, of attacker that we haven't had at Chelsea. Everybody that we've had in the past couple of years likes running in behind. You know, after Willian and, and Pedro, Pedro was really, really good sort of moving in behind lines and, and with his movement. But Villian always wanted it to feet. And after that, we've had Werner, we've had Kai Harvard, so actually good movers. They're really, really good at moving. 
don't like ball to feet, like minimal touches and scoring. So it's a it's a big change, and I think that's a, a different attribute that we now have in a center forward, and uh, hopefully should benefit us in the long run. And the last two, I'm just going to go quickly through it because uh, in terms of like vision, I think he's also improved. Somebody who's not afraid to try an adventurous pass um, helps that he's ambidextrous, ambipedal, the, the word being like he's equally comfortable with either foot. He's also got this lovely outside of the right foot pass. So he can knock those balls around defenses and, and get people in behind. So trying to break the last line of the opposition defense with passing, it's something that he's added. And you can see in the number of big chances he's created, the number of key passes he's racking up, that he's actually become, you know, a playmaking forward. He's actually become um, multidimensional in the way that he threatens the back line. So opponents need to be switched on to multiple things when, when he's on the ball, when he's not got the ball. And I think that's a really good thing that he's added. And probably like one of the last trends is uh, his direct set pieces. Very, very good at free kicks. Um, dead ball striking is very good. And he often gets the ball on target, has scored some really, really beautiful free kicks. So that that is also going to be um, something that can come of use. And, and the good thing is he can take free kicks from both the left and the right-hand side. So um, probably going to be a big asset because after he lost Marcos Alonso, getting those free kicks on the right-hand side to go in has been a little bit of a struggle. So maybe somebody like him can come in and take that responsibility. Um, that's about it. The only last point I would add is the big game pedigree is also there in spades, Dan. I mean, I feel like he's, whenever I've watched him against big sides, um, he's done very, very well. He's Like I mentioned, he's got a hat-trick against Manchester City. Um, he got a goal and an assist in a losing cause versus Bayern. He's got two assists and a goal versus Dortmund. So Remember, the, the big stage is set. He tends to pick himself up. He wants to be in the limelight, tends to amp his performances. So should be something to look forward to. I think he's done very well in that regard. And we're missing big game players. We really, really need those. And uh, hopefully he adds to that character. And it's infectious when he enters the dressing room. Yeah, that was something that I was looking at too, is when you try to split out the metrics of where he's been able to score and you know just even in this recent campaign you mentioned you know he played the the six matches he has scored uh three goals so his like total goal plus assist contribution uh for those six matches was 0.67 um obviously uh you know so, some of those are uh individuals like real madrid um which he was able to score against uh he yeah that that's uh not always an easy uh draw as well i mean he did score against uh, celtic as well in the champions league group stages this year and so maybe not always the 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 right level comment I celtics a pretty hard get in terms of a defensive standpoint too so i feel like we're seeing him make that rise you know he scored four goals in the Europa League, uh, kind of in the getting in the semifinal there last year. And then uh, this past, uh, you know, he in the, the group stages, he had scored seven goals there as well. So, like, he he's showing that he can score not just in the Bundesliga, but he's showing that he can score in the international, you know, competitions, the European competitions as well. And that has to be exciting because sometimes we've bought a striker or we bought a forward who's really good in one, and not really good in the other. And it feels like to me, based upon everything you said, the way he's acclimatized, the way he's been able to grow his game, it feels very much like we have the center forward or forward player 
who can score both in the Premier League and be relied upon in European competition. And that hasn't always been the way it's worked for some of our recent recruitment. Absolutely. I think um, those questions have always been hanging on the front line in terms of can they deliver in certain situations. Um, He's sort of stamping his authority in that regard and saying that, look, you put me in any situation and I will deliver. It's the big games. He's done well. Even against the minnows, he can be a flat track bully. Happy to get in on the act, whether it's goals or assists. So when you have somebody as decisive as him, as, as somebody who wants to be a match winner, it can only be positive. So hopefully he transfers that skill set from, from Leipzig to here. All right. So a lot of praise, a lot of positivity, a lot of excitement. And we don't want to dampen the party because this is a festive season. There's an excitement that should be had about bringing in a new forward, the hope, the promise, what could happen. I mean, what happened the last time we signed a forward from Leipzig? Went on and won the Champions League. I don't, I don't know. Like, hopefully, the goal-scoring record is a little bit better. Um, and, and we win the Champions League as well. That would be the ideal scenario. But if you were going to add a little bit of caution, keep us tethered to reality, grounded in a sense, allow us to soar a little bit, but make sure that we don't fly up into the atmosphere. What are the things that you would highlight, Sam, as weaknesses or opportunities within his game? Um, not major concerns. I would say that there are some concerns, um, intermediate concerns, to be able to put it kindly. But um, I feel like he can improve on his defensive work in the final third. I think when he's counter-pressing, when he's going forwards to win the ball back, he can be a little too aggressive. He's extremely hardworking. The last time I remember the data was available for, for pressures, he was factoring in around 23 or 24 pressures, which is on the higher side, which is, I think, in the top two or three percentile for forwards. So he is an extremely hardworking forward who loves pushing up and, and, you know, being aggressive, but tends to do it all in one burst. And then after that, it's easy to play around him. And then he becomes sort of like this slightly passive observer. He can sort of drift in and out of, you know, his responsibilities. Very good when he, for example, if the ball's taken away from him, and somebody tries to dribble past him, then he will run back. He will do the dirty work. He will try to win it back. So in terms of dueling, in terms of doing the dirty work, definitely there. But in the attacking third, when it comes to being the first line of defense, can do a little better. So hopefully that's something that he can improve uh, with coaching or, or with experience playing against an opponent of, of higher caliber and figuring out you know, how to, to do that with a better team. I mean, in Germany, obviously, the pressing is far better oriented but um, I think he can still improve upon it. So hopefully somebody like a Mount, somebody like a Gallagher, high quality sort of uh, pressers around him can facilitate that from him. So I'm, I'm keeping my fingers crossed in that regard. Um, another weakness is I, I would say his penalties uh, has a good record. I think he's only missed two, but very predictable. Tends to be very Timo Werner in terms of his penalties, goes to the keepers right often, I think, uh, four, three penalties or four penalties he's put in the bottom left. Uh, two penalties he's put in the top left. And then there are two penalties which are at saveable height for the keeper. And, you know, all of those went in. And the only penalty he's put to the keeper's left, he missed. So he's very one-dimensional in terms of penalties. Wouldn't really trust him with those duties, you know. And uh, I don't know whether he's those kinds who will demand the ball for a, for a set piece and, and say that, you know, I want to take this penalty and 
boost my goal scoring tally but he needs to be better needs to be more unpredictable needs to mix it up so that's that's something that definitely can be improved uh this is also a very subjective opinion i would say that his influence can wane at times there are some spells i would say pretty long spells in games where he feels like he's he's gone missing it looks like he's um he's more concentrating on sort of looking for space rather than proactively coming back and and doing something he's he just wanders a little bit and sometimes when when your t- team is 2-0 down for example he tends to be a little muted it looks like he has the potential to turn it around but tends to be a little i don't know iffy uh, in, in that game state but um sometimes then after that he just completely erupt and change the game but then you ask yourself why didn't he do that earlier so i think he needs to get rid of those little lulls i don't know if it's him sort of like exerting all that uh, work rate when he's trying to press off the ball and recuperating and that's when he tries to go missing and and can't put in the same amount of effort but he needs to time that better he needs to have his influence up through 90 minutes he can't afford to go missing in the premier league because people notice so hopefully he can improve that and uh, there are slight question marks i would say on his injury as well i think um i am extremely cautious he's not got a bad injury record at all i think he's is extremely good when it comes to availability um but knee injury uh, ligament uh, can be for somebody like him who relies on the first 2 seconds 3 seconds of acceleration and burst can be a can be an issue you know we found that with fernando torres for example we bought him just i think post the knee injury that he had and he lost that vital yard of pace and was never the same player again so uh, keeping my fingers crossed but it's something that if the medical department is happy with then you know somebody like me then can have no complaints but hopefully he's been inspected during the medicals and doctors have given the go ahead but that's something that i would keep an eye on um i also spoke about this in the wesley fofana pod if you remember saying that after the leg break you know you never know how that affects the rest of your physiology if it brings up other injuries and there have been injuries since and i think he picked up one again today from what i've been reading on twitter in in the friendly game against brentford so no idea how that's going to affect long term but we need to be cautious there and the last two i would say is that he's he's a bit ineffectual when when put him out wide when you tend to look at his dribbling skills obviously the temptation is to think that he can play well at left wing but i i say that that's a that's a slight waste of his talents you don't want him to be relegated to the flanks you don't want him receiving where the full back can keep an eye on him you want him wandering out you want him in central spaces whether you know where, where the scope of dribbling you know you're not restricted by the touchline like pep guardiola says you know something he told frank ribery also you're very good at dribbling out wide but why do you want to be you know bound by the white line you need to be in the center you need to be able to go both directions that's when you give players a headache and that's when kunku does his best work as well so you want him in central zones don't put him on the left hand side even though he looks like he can do things but i don't think he has on uh, the 1v1 prowess i don't think he has the long burst to take on premier league full back so that's something that needs to needs to be very very carefully noted down and i would say i have some issues figuring out whether he can play away from leipzig system it's very similar to the mistakes that we did with timo werner and romelu lukaku both looked very good i mean werner obviously looked very good in the same setup he looked very good next to yusuf paulson he looked very good next to a 
a strong center forward who could offer occupying the center backs and allow somebody like a Werner to make his run, somebody um, to be a distraction while he made those runs into the box and scored goals. And Kunku also likes doing that. I wouldn't say that it, that's all his game. He has a lot more facets, but he relies a lot on that. So who's going to be that person at Chelsea? Is it going to be Kai Havertz? Is it going to be Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang? Is it going to be Raheem Sterling? And nobody knows, but we don't have that brutish number nine who's happy to play as a classical nine and occupy centre-backs. We don't have that profile yet. Oba is there, but long-term, I don't see that option yet. And I don't know how Nkunku is going to perform away from it. There is a certain hack that I will talk about in potentials, but... Uh, yeah, that's that's something that I would also be a little wary of. All right, well, we'll take our last ad break here, and then we'll get to, into that hack. We'll talk about the potential of Nkunku as what he might be able to do at Chelsea, where he best fits, and some player parallels as well. But uh, we want to thank these sponsors again for financially supporting the show. We'll be right back. All right, so you talk about this idea, Sam, of the unifier in attack. So let's use that as our springboard to jump into the potential that we're hoping for you know we talked a little bit about the weaknesses and how he might work against those we talked about his strengths but how would this come to fruition for you to be honest Dan, when i look at our setup it looks like to be honest it doesn't look like an attacking unit it looks more like units in attack i don't think that that is something that brings them together something that sparks a sense of um Synergy, it sparks something in terms of a collective idea, in terms of playing off each other. It just looks like a very disjointed attack. It looks like they have all have individual ideas, but nobody's on the same wavelength. We've seen a couple of games where it's clicked. For example, the Milan game, I remember we looked electric in spells, but most of the time we look to be lacking ideas. We look to be lacking a little bit of risk. You know, it looked like we were too afraid of adventure. Maybe it's something that Tuchel demanded, somebody that wanted absolute control, saying that do not lose the ball, make sure that you're absolutely in control. And then when you get in the attacking third and everything's all right, then you can use your ideas. But it looked for the longest time that we were afraid of losing the ball. And and maybe that's why it's blunted our attack. I mean, the attacking stats that I was pulling out for the mount pot that I think will happen later on, um, it, it just painted a very grim story and it was it was depressing in terms of the the numbers that were coming up we were somewhere in the 60s or 70s out of 98 teams for most most attacking metrics in in all of europe so it looked like we were closer to a to a malaga or, or closer to a real zaragoza than we were to to manchester city or arsenal and we're lucky to be in eighth i would be i would be very blunt with that so it's just been a very horrid spell up until now but uh, somebody like an Nkunku can come in and and be that person around which everything else revolves. So I think he will try and bring out the best in Aubameyang. He will provide some kind of chances for him. Maybe the best in Sterling. Sterling's movement at Manchester City was something that I harped lyrical about. I was absolutely, you know, overjoyed at having somebody who had that level of movement. Haven't really seen him because he's played at wing back. Uh, he's played in different positions, but hasn't been able to display that. So can Nunku bring the best out in, in these two skill sets? Can he bring the best out in, say, a Mason Mount, um, who I think can play somebody like a Danny Olmo kind of role? So there are a lot of good things that I see with Nkunku coming in. It's just where he fits in, what he can do. But in terms of potential, I think it's it's the right move. I think he can be 
um, the unifier in a DAC. Um, some other potential I would say is there are some facets that can improve still. He's only 25. And when you look at somebody like a Mohamed Salah or a Kevin De Bruyne, um, they were improving even when they were 27 or 28. I think with somebody like him, who's quite two-footed, able to shoot with either foot and generate enough power, I think he can still get better with his weaker foot. I think he can get better in the terms in terms of how good De Bruyne is with his angles. You know, you never know which passing lane to block for De Bruyne because if you try to cover his right foot, he shifts it to his left and then he opens it up. And and I think Nkunku can learn a few pointers from there in terms of using that to his benefit, using his two-footedness to to open up defenses on a more frequent basis. I think that's also something that can be factored in. I think the number one thing also that I, I really like is from personal experience, when I was sitting down and thinking and spending hours in Y Scout trying to figure out who is this elusive creative force? Like who can we bring that adds that much needed attack? I mean, I went through this theory of can we get a left-sided fullback who offers excellent chances from wide? So when I settled on David Raum, I was like, wow, he's creating, you know, more than 15 big chances in, in the league. So it's something that we've been missing. Maybe we'll get him. Um, maybe we'll get somebody like an Enzo Lefe who who loves splitting lines, who has like a lot of through balls in his locker. But it always came down to these guys lose the ball a lot. These guys are the high-risk, high-reward kind of guys. Somebody like a Hakim Ziyech who will try always for the adventurous spouse, always try and pick that, you know, big option, that that under the spotlights kind of option. And, and when it clicks, it's absolutely spectacular. But when it doesn't, it can be immensely frustrating. So it was me sort of rubbing my head against a cheese grater, trying to figure out what does this attack need? And then you find somebody like an Nkunku who's not crossing as often as he used to. He's not shooting as much as elite center forwards do. Some of them take, like Mohamed Salah, for example, I think used to take five, five and a half shots a game. And Gunku is somewhere around two and a half to three. Um, he's reduced his crossing, like I said, to once every two games. And he's still clicking some very, very good creative numbers. So he is somebody who is um, a risk-averse attacker, but with high reward. And I think that's a, a very rare profile to have. He's somebody who's willing to, to choose his right moments. He's willing to be very protective of the ball, values possession, and then obviously still has the new to pick out the right options and create opportunities. I think that's something that we've been missing. It's probably one major reason why we haven't seen more of Ziyech. At Morocco, you can indulge that. You know, somebody who is senior enough to be vice captain and captain when you need to take on the big sides, probably have a 25-yard screamer. Ziyech is what you need. You know, he's more than happy to provide that. He's more than happy to work really hard for the team. So, you know, that can be indulged for Morocco. But having somebody like an Nkunku can take away a little bit of that possession risk of losing it and, and being hit on a counter and still add that level of threat. So I think that's, that's really, really good. And if he can improve those aspects, weaker foot, more touches in the box, having more shots than he has at Leipzig, and I would say he would grab the bull by the horns, no pun intended, and then probably have a better output. Got it. And as that goes into seeing, you know, necessarily some of the, like the the parallels in terms of a a player, if we get the high potential player, so if he executes against the potential that we're talking about to the maximum, and he is everything we hoped he's going to be a more. Who is a comparable 
type of player that you would hope to see him progress into being. And then maybe take a step down from that and saying, hey, he's a very good purchase player, individual, like individually successful, but maybe not as great as we hoped. Who are those comps that you might offer? So as people start to think about how he fits in, think about his play style, try to visualize what type of impact he could have on this Chelsea side, what's the high expectation and what's a more good but not great expectation? Okay, I might get slated for this view, but I think if he achieves everything that he's achieving at the Bundesliga, at the Premier League, if he continues to develop, then the upper upper ceiling would be Karim Benzema. I think it's somebody like... Um, okay. <laughs> somebody who's... I think Benzema, when, when Ronaldo left and when he was given the central responsibility, um, you often see him being so good in terms of his movement, in terms of just being that presence who you can give the ball to and he brings everything together. He makes Vinicius better. He makes Rodrigo better. You know, he will create spaces in those central zones for other attackers to to sort of thrive in. He pulls everything apart, every organized defense apart at, at his whim. He's just that good. And um, if Nkunku can develop that, if he can learn to do that, um, playing as the lone center forward, if he can be a little more system independent, I would say that's the upper, upper limit. A more realistic limit, I would say, is Memphis Depay because he's also somebody who's excellent at at playing these little layoffs, making sure that he's bringing other people into play, and then obviously sprinting into the box and scoring goals. So Depay would also be a great option. Somewhere in the intermediate, I would say Alexis Sanchez is also a pretty good reference. Somebody who started off wide but was given a central role at Barcelona and found various aspects to to improve on and, and make others better. So I think he played really, really well at peak Barcelona. So I would say that's also a pretty good aspect. Similar skill sets, very good upper body strength. And then finding movement, being short, but still finding ways to score headers, getting into great positions. So Alexis Sanchez is also good. Um, and in the lower sort of spectrum, I would say somebody like a Joao Felix, you know, at, at his current form. I'm not saying at peak form. Because I've seen Felix play when, when Atletico won the title and he was spectacular in some games. But uh, somebody who still radiates potential, somebody who, who shows flashes of brilliance, somebody who has, you know, the ability to pluck the ball from the from the stars and, and absolutely kill it with one touch and then go past somebody with, with a feint. He does that all game, but then ineffectual in his final product. It just looks like something's holding him back. It's like a glass ceiling. Maybe the system is wrong. Maybe he's being asked to do something. Maybe the teammates are not right in terms of profile. So maybe that would be the lower spectrum. But this is how I would arrange the hierarchy. Starting with Benzema, maybe a Depay or Alexis Sanchez, and then going down to Joao Felix, current to Joao Felix. Right. And and that's why maybe for those who have also hoped for someone like Joao Felix to come in to this Chelsea side is he's been rumored to potentially having some issues uh, at his current club. You wouldn't necessarily add Joao Felix and Nkunku to the same side in one fell swoop because it feels like there'd be a little bit of a, a log jam in terms of uh, both players getting exactly what they look for. And and really, you're buying into uh, Nkunku being your guy, the guy, the tip of the spear in your attack. Yeah, and, and something that we saw with the Dutch as well, you know, in, in the game against Argentina, obviously, when you had Depay, who was dropping, when you had Gak, 
Oh, who is more insistent on going wide, not really looking to to make those runs and occupy the center backs um, behind the last line. Obviously, showing for it on the shoulder is different, but occupying the center backs and making your presence felt. I think the Dutch struggled. And the moment they brought somebody like about Weghorst, you know, the game transformed. You know, when you have a center back like center forward like him, um, occupying center backs and and opening up spaces in front of the defense, then those players can thrive. But when you have, you know, too many cooks, then obviously you're not going to get a wonderful meal, like Mr. Bowley would say. So I would say Felix was an interesting option because his upper ceiling is really good. You know, he's somebody who's, I, I think, in, in the pretty similar kind of mold, a great second striker or somebody who's very adept at being, um, you know, a shadow striker who will work with a primary center forward and make those runs inside the box, has the vision, has the passing to to connect attacks and then build something out of nothing. But uh, that's the issue. Like at Chelsea, when I'm thinking, what are the little fixes that we can do? You know, he's played in a 4-2-3-1. So you can probably have a Kai Havertz as the center forward and maybe play in Kunku as, as the number 10, or maybe even ask him to switch up and down. That's what he's done at Leipzig as well. He's switched with the left winger. He slipped, switched with the center forward. So when the center forward drops, then Nkunku becomes the, the furthest forward in attack and he will try to run into that space. And when the when the center forward, like a Paulson, is, is occupying the center backs, then he'll try to pick spaces and pockets between the defensive midfielder and the center backs. So that kind of synergy is needed. You need to be able to offer him different spaces because you make if you make him too predictable, you kill a lot of his strengths. He can do a lot of things, but a good team will maximize the potential of him exploiting space. And I think that's the conundrum that, that Chelsea will have to fix. How and where does he fit in? Where does Raheem Sterling fit in? Where does Aubameyang fit in? Is he the center forward? Is Kai Havertz the center forward? Who's at left wing? So I think those questions will also become very pertinent if and when he makes his move final to us. And I think that domino that you're talking about in terms of the attack is going to start with Nkunku first and figuring out how you accommodate him and work the remainder of those individuals around him and not the other way around where you're trying to jigsaw him into the puzzle. You're basically saying, I'll take my existing attack, I'll wipe the the slate clean i'll figure out where he goes and then try to put the people around him so that they also benefit as much as possible and in turn he can maximize the strengths that he has in this new look chelsea attack because he'll have had he'll have the longest contract he will be the newest player he'll be the individual with the at that point best scoring pedigree um particularly if he continues his current form when he returns from injury in the bundesliga that to me feels like what we'll see when we start. And maybe, I don't know, I feel very excited for preseason uh, next year because I want to see what the first run out of this looks like with him as the the central focus of the attack. Yeah, definitely. I think it's going to be very exciting. In terms of buying the right kind of player, I think you can do a lot, lot worse than Nkunku. I think he's, he's proven over the past couple of seasons that he has the right amount of output. He has all the skills. More importantly, he has his fundamentals, right? And it looks like a lot of those skills are transferable straight to the Premier League in terms of no space. More than a Werner, more than a Lukaku, he probably will look a lot more comfortable when, when the squeeze is put on. So he's also more equipped strength-wise than a Werner to, to be more comfortable in that environment. So I'm hoping that happens. 
the only reason, like I said, there are certain doubts in my head. Like when I look at Manchester City, you have an Erling Haaland, you, you have a Julian Alvarez, who both, I would say, <clears throat> number nines who are more in that striker kind of mold. You look at Darwin Nunez, who also played a centre forward for Benfica. So at a time when these traditional nines, these major centre forwards are making a return, at international level and at club football, at the World Cup, we saw so many. We saw Nicholas Fulkrug, you know, we saw defensive strikers become a norm. Um, so, are we missing a trick? Are we still buying somebody from the Bundesliga who's neither a winger nor a centre-forward, but somewhere in the middle, he's like a 10.5? Are we missing a trick? Are we still going for someone who doesn't maximise, doesn't really solve the fundamental issues those doubts will always remain. But in terms of buying a player who offers everything in attack, could probably bring everything together, make a recipe, shine out and sing. I think we found, uh, you know, the, the cherry on top. I think we found a little bit of magic sprinkling uh, on top. So hopefully uh, this podcast is prophetic in the way that his Chelsea career will pan out. Well, in that note, or on that note rather, we will finish the discussion of this attacking Sunday that Todd Bowley is putting together because it's not just about great meals and good dinners. It's also about a wonderful dessert as well. So, Sam, thank you so much for doing a lot of due diligence, some additional research, and I'm sure this will not be the last player that we're talking about, particularly with the January transfer window opening up in a handful of days here. So uh, thanks again, and uh, we'll be talking again uh, very, very soon, I would imagine. No, thank you so much, Dan. Like you said, I think there's a lot more work to be done. We haven't even touched midfield, which is, I think, the the major concern for the past couple of years. So there are so many targets that I'm watching um, to try and figure out which one fits the best, and then hopefully we will be able to talk about those targets. Uh, but from everyone at London's Blue Podcast, I mean, I would wish on my behalf, a very, very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. But we will be obviously seeing you soon. But in the meantime, please enjoy your holidays. Stay safe and lots of love. Yeah, if this is the last one you listen to before the holidays, before you pack it in and say no more podcasts until 2023, uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Happy Hanukkah for uh, anyone who's celebrating uh, whatever your particular thing is. If it's just uh, a little bit of alone time or if it's time with family and friends, we hope you enjoy it. And until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.